Turn also with me in your Bible to Romans chapter number one. There's also a sermon notes page that you should have uh, picked up on the way down uh, this afternoon that has uh, some scripture passages, also some historic confessions of faith, a couple little book recommendations for you there, uh, and there's a little outline on the back of that. And so Romans chapter 1, to read there with you, verses uh, 18, down through verse number uh, 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images and resembling uh, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. A.W. Tozer, who was a 20th century uh, uh, Christian pastor and uh, a great writer as well, said, uh, without doubt, the mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. And the weightiest word in any language is its word for God. Uh, we saw last, uh, or two Sundays ago, uh, in our uh, second service, began to think with you uh, of uh, the existence, the attributes of God, who God is, what he's like, uh, how we can know him, especially uh, all that knowledge, all that truth that we learn, things that we, uh, those things that we call theology, uh, are all meant to lead us to know God. Jesus said uh, that this is eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So to know God, not really in a a mental way, uh, in a cognitive way, but to know him, not just with mind, but with our hearts. uh, To relate to him, to have fellowship with him, uh, to see him and to know him face to face like Moses in the tabernacle. uh, Relating to him, praying to him, hearing from him in his word uh, as like a friend. That's what it is to have eternal life. Uh, It's to know the true God. Now, uh, if the, the highest thoughts, the mightiest thoughts, the most important thoughts are the things of God, we've got to know that he exists, don't we? If the most important thing of life is to know God, do you, do you need to be convinced that he is? Fine. Thank you, George. Thank you. I mean, we, we can't know God unless we know there is a God, correct? Right? So we need to be convinced that God is. Now, we put our faith in him. We say in the creed, I believe, right? So we, we put our faith, we put all of our eggs in that basket, as it were, uh, that God is, that God exists, that he is. And so we've got to be convinced. Uh, the Bible begins, of course, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, at verse number 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The Bible assumes, the Bible assumes God exists. 
Why? Because it's his revelation. God comes to us. God has made us. God has revealed himself to us. In the creation, we'll see, in our conscience, in his word, the canon of scripture, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But God is, and the word of God begins with that acknowledgement, that assumption that God is. Because the word of God is his revelation. It comes to us. We didn't make it up. It wasn't just invented. It wasn't a myth, a cleverly devised fable. No, it's a revelation from God. And we accept that by faith. We accept that God is and that God has spoken. But how can we grow in that? How can we be more convinced that God exists? How can we know God ourselves so that we might be able to pass that knowledge on to others who might ask us, does God exist? Daxon told me last night that he had a friend in school who tried to uh, teach him and, and, uh, and uh, 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 convince him that there was no God, that, uh, that, that, that atheism is true. But then Daxon said, interestingly, his friend worships birds. So kind of interesting, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know what that was all about, Dax, but... Uh, his friend was trying to convince him that there was no God, but yet uh, he somehow had this thing about birds. So, um, and that's what Paul says here, right? We, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We try to pretend that God doesn't exist, but we end up making gods in our own image. So how can we grow in our, in our faith that God is? How can we know more convincingly to ourselves that God is? How can we uh, give answers to those who would ask us with reasonableness, with gentleness, with self-control. Uh, so I want to think with you about God, his existence, just for a few minutes here this afternoon. Uh, first of all, first of all, how can we be more convinced that God exists? Well, first of all, his creation testifies of his existence. We just read from Romans chapter 1. Turn also that uh, famous passage in Psalm number 19. Quickly, Psalm number 19, another familiar passage uh, about God and his existence and how we can know he is. Uh, and that he is there, he hears our prayers, and so forth. Uh, notice the psalmist begins, David does, saying, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words where their voice is not heard. And so the, this wonderful image, this beautiful image of, 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 of handiwork, right? Handiwork. Uh, uh, think of a potter who sculpts clay into something uh, that wasn't before, but then it becomes something that it wasn't, into a pot, and then, uh, and then uh, uh, puts it in an oven, uh, then paints it and, and beautifies it. So, or someone who, who makes a quilt, uh, all are, 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 a, are a bunch of strands of strings and so forth, and those things, by the use of hands and fingers, become uh, a beautiful blanket, a beautiful quilt, so forth. The creation testifies of the handiwork of God, the fingers of God, the activity of God, the creativity of God. And the creative work of God are, is also described here like a voice, like a preacher, whose voice is heard everywhere, by everyone, in all times and in all places. There is no place, there, uh, there is no speech, there is no nor are there words where their voice is not heard. This is one of the reasons why every tribe, people, and language, and nation, every culture uh, across the, 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 the whole history of the human race have worshipped something. Where did that idea to, uh, to worship them come from? It came, it came from looking above, looking up, looking out, looking beyond. 
And so Paul picks up that idea in Romans chapter 1 uh, that we read, uh, this idea that the, that the creation declares the, the handiwork, the finger work, the creativity, the artistry of God himself, uh, when he tells us there that what can be known about God is plain. It's plain to the world because God has shown it to them. Notice the creation is a revelation from God. God shows to human beings. He shows to us that he is, that he is. Uh, there was an ancient philosopher, a uh, philosopher theologian uh, who lived in the city of Antioch uh, by the name of Theophilus, and he gave an illustration of this, uh, thinking of the creation as, as, a, as, a, as a testimony of God's handiwork. And he said that just as you and I can't see our soul, but we can perceive that we have a soul by the the activities of our bodies, right? There's something giving us motion. Like, why do we cry? Because we have emotion, right? Uh, why do we smile with our, with our mouths? Because we're happy. Why do we frown when we get angry and so forth? You know, there's, something, there's something in us. There's a soul, right, that animates our bodies. So in the same way that you can't see your soul, but you can perceive your soul by the things that your body does, in the same way God, who can't be seen because he's invisible, we can perceive God and his actions by his works. We can see God because we, we can look up and see the creation. We can see the movement of human history, God's providence in his care in the world. In fact, Paul, as he goes on in that little section there in Romans chapter 1, uh, he, he says that idolatry, that is the fashioning and forming of ideas into God's, either in the place of God or next to the true God, that idolatry is actually a testimony that there is a true God. The fact that there are false idols testify to the fact that there is a real God, a true God, who exists and who has made everything. Again, where did the idea for idols come from? And God's come from. It came from people looking and seeing in the creation. So the heavens declare the glory of God, you probably saw this week uh, NASA uh, put out uh, uh, even greater images uh, than have ever been uh, known to to the human race uh, of uh, a certain satellite that's been out there for years, uh, looking into deep space. Uh, uh, before this most latest uh, satellite, I can't recall the name off the top of my head, but uh, there's the Hubble telescope, of course, and the Hubble. Uh, had what they call the, the ultra-deep field image. They, they just focused the image uh, on one little point of nothing, or what they thought was nothing, uh, over the course of many days. Uh, and that one tiny image, uh, it's called the, uh, the, the Hubble Deep, uh, the ultra-deep field, you can find it online. 10,000 galaxies in just this one photo, right? 10,000 galaxies. You can't even count them, there's so many. 10,000 galaxies. Now that one image of 10,000 galaxies, it's like holding up a quarter 74 feet in front of your eyes. And there are 10,000 galaxies in just that little size of a quarter, 74 feet. I don't know what 74 feet would be like where Hagen's at probably. I don't know. Is the whole thing 74 feet here? I have no idea. But like far to the back, right? Even by the wall back there. That means that in that little quarter-sized picture of 10,000 galaxies, it would take 12.7 million more quarters to fill the entirety of that, pic, of that image. 12.7 million times 10,000, what's that? 
My wife probably my wife probably knows. Duncan probably knows. A lot. It's a lot, right? It's a big number. Okay. The heavens declare God's glory. The heavens declare His glory. Packer J.I. Packer once said, "Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. When you realize that you're in that one." picture of 10,000 galaxies that's so tiny in the vast space of, of, of the universe and that you're, I mean, not, you're not even an, uh, a molecule to the size of, that, of those galaxies. All of life's problems go away because you exist with the glory of God. God has made you and he's made everything that exists. So how can I know that God exists? The creation, the creation. We can see his handiwork. We can see his glory manifest outside of us, but there's also something within us. Secondly, our own conscience. So in Romans chapter 1, again, Paul is describing here uh, not just the creation, but there's something within us, something inside of us that God has put there to testify of his existence. So why is it that people are trying to, uh, to, to, to suppress the truth? Verse 18. And I've, I've described that to you many times, I think, over the many years. Uh, like being in a jacuzzi and turning on the bubbles. And all those bubbles begin to come up to the surface. Try to hold every single one of those bubbles down. It's absolutely impossible. That's what it's like to be, as Paul describes, uh, a person in unrighteousness trying to hold down the knowledge of God in their conscience so that they're not convicted of their sins. It's like trying to hold down all the bubbles in a jacuzzi. Why? Because God has not just manifested himself in the creation, his invisible attributes and so forth, that leave us without excuse. But verse 21 says, although they knew him, right? There's, there's something about us as human beings made in the image of God that we know God exists intuitively. That's our conscience. That's our conscience. People make idols because they want to serve something like them rather than the God who really is. Would you much rather worship a God that looked like a cow or a consuming fire? Would you much rather worship a God that looked like a dollar sign or a God who is invisible? A God who is perfect and who is utterly apart from what you are and different. Our conscience testifies of the existence of God. Paul goes on to say in chapter number 2 of Romans, I'll just leave you to read uh, on your own, but in verse 12 and following, uh, he's describing the fact that uh, the Jews had the law and they didn't keep it. And then he goes on to say, in fact, the Gentiles, non-Jews, they didn't have the Ten Commandments in stone, but they did at least as best they could in their laws, and history bears this out, they tried to testify of the things in the commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Uh, and, and so forth. Don't, don't bear false witness and so forth. Why? Paul says in Romans 2 that, uh, that the Gentiles do the thing of the law. The work of the law is, is, with on their, uh, is, with, uh, is in their conscience. It's upon their hearts. So even laws and so forth testify of the conscience that there is a God. And that conscience that God has given to us, it's Described in the Bible in Ecclesiastes 3 as God putting upon the heart of man eternity. Eternity. We all live for something. We're all going somewhere. We all, have, we all expect something beyond this life. It's because God has put upon our conscience, upon our heart, eternity. 
the bigness, the vastness of life. C.S. Lewis describes why he believed in God by saying this. He said, I believe, uh, Christianity that is, I, I believe in Christianity as a belief that the sun has risen. I believe in Christianity as a belief that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. In other words, we know that there is a God, and because we know there's a God, everything makes sense. In our conscience, we know this. We can only make sense of the world and life and morality and so forth because there is a God. We, 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 we gauge all things. We, 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 we weigh all things against who God is. Or else there's chaos. There's anarchy. There's death. I believe in Christianity because I believe, not just because I see it like a sun, but because by it I see everything else. And so the creation testifies to us as we get to know more and more about the creation that God is. Our our own conscience testifies to us that there is a God. There's something beyond us. And thirdly, there's another interesting way for us to grow in our knowledge and our conviction that God is. It's the canon of Scripture. The canon of Scripture. And so creation testifies outside of us that there is a God. Our conscience inside of us that there is a God. But as Paul says there in Romans chapter uh, 1, verse number, uh, verse 20, uh, the creation can only leave us without excuse. I mean, in our sinfulness, in in our life as human beings, this side of the fall, the knowledge that God gives in the creation is only enough knowledge to leave us without excuse. We can't say to God on the judgment day, I didn't know that you existed. No, we had enough knowledge to know that we are without excuse. In other words, the knowledge of God in creation, even our own conscience, cannot save us. We need something else to bring us to a conviction of our sins to then know this true God as he reveals himself in his word. And God effectively, effectually reveals himself as true and who he really is in his word, the canon of scripture. The psalmist in that Psalm number 19, as he describes the creation and the glory of God, uh, the majesty of God, uh, the handiwork, the finger work of God in the creation. Uh, there's, There's no place, there's no language where this knowledge is not known. But then he says this, Psalm number 19, verse 7. He transitions from creation to something else, the canon of Scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, and so forth. Notice the contrast between the glory and majesty of God, but then the words of God. And it's only in those words of God, here described as the law of the Lord, the Torah, the the teaching of God, can we have our souls enlivened, our eyes opened, he describes there, Uh, our our hearts to be full of joy, our minds full of wisdom. It's to know God as he really is through his word. For example, uh, St. Augustine, St. Augustine, raised by uh, an unbelieving father and a Christian mother, 
Monica. Became a philosopher and a teacher of uh, rhetoric or speech and wanted nothing to do with God. He even describes in his his confessions that he would uh, steal fruit just because he could. Not because he needed food, but because, because he could. Right? That's... That's a sinner, isn't it? That's a, it's a bold sinner. To steal something just because you can. And he describes that one day as he was uh, in his study, he heard some children outside playing, and he thought he heard them saying this phrase, Tole lege, tole lege, take up and read, take up and read. And he turned and he saw a Bible and he opened it up and... That's all she wrote. He came to the knowledge of God. He came to know the true God, not through his wisdom, not through his conscience, uh, not through even the creation, only because he, the Spirit of God used the words of God to convince him, to convict him, to convert him. And so God testifies to us. How can we know that God exists? How can we be convinced of his existence? Because he shows it in his creation. He, he, he reveals it in us and through us in our conscience. We know he exists. We, we want to do right, not do wrong. And the word of God is what alone can convert the soul, make wise the simple, and so forth. So in conclusion, there is scarcely an error in our doctrine or There's scarcely anything in our errors of how we live that's not traceable to wrong thoughts about who God is. Our theology, our ethics, our worship, all that it is that we are as as people, as Christians, goes back to who God is. And to know him, to know him as he truly is, to know him in his existence, that he's made all things, he's formed us. In his wisdom, in his, in his own reasoning, in his own uh, joy, out of his own joy to make us in his love, in his goodness. And to give us something of that knowledge in our conscience that we would long for him even more. And to pick up and read his word, to find him face to face. How can we know this God? By picking up his words, by reading them, by hearing them, by experiencing them. And seeing and hearing in the word of God, the very face of Jesus Christ himself, to know him the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your words, and we pray that you would enliven our hearts by them, and our minds and our lives, Lord, according to them. Give us conviction and confidence of your existence as we look about and see the things that you've made. As we stand in awe and wonder and enjoy at the creation that we get to experience every day. Lord, help our, tes- help our consciences testify to us more and more convincingly of your, of your presence with us. And as we read your word, Lord, to know you. Enable us, Lord, to pass on uh, these truths. Uh, to speak to our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors with great love and care for them of who you are. We don't want to see them fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing. We want to see them come to you in joy and in confidence and with boldness through Jesus to you, our Heavenly Father, relying not on their works, but upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us today and help us to use it to your glory and honor. We ask it all in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen.